once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, November 3rd edition of ATS Radio. I'm host Adam Burke. I'll be joined today by guest Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to talk some NFL Week 9 with you here, talk a little bit of Breeders' Cup as well, maybe work in some NASCAR as we go throughout here on today's show. Plenty of stuff to talk about, which is a very nice change of pace given where we were just a few months ago. Over at ATS.io, a lot of great stuff going on. A updated BetMGM promotion. Bet $1, win $100 on the Thursday night football game between the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. A dollar on the money line, a touchdown scored in that game means a $100 free bet from BetMGM. You can read about that more over at ATS.io. Big day in the sports betting world in three states, Maryland, Louisiana, and South Dakota with sports betting on the ballot. Nebraska voting for an expansion of gaming that would include games of chance and therefore open the door for sports betting down the line. You can read about that over at ATS.io as well. And make sure you're checking out our ATS YouTube page where you can find highlight videos from the show, videos from our good friend here, Brian Blessing, on a lot of different topics. This week so far, a couple of NFL preview videos over on our ATS YouTube page for you to check out. Lastly, download the ATS app in the Google Play Store and the Apple Store. You can find it over at ATS.io as well. It's a bet tracker. You've got an odd screen for multiple U.S. sports books. You've got uh, all kinds of stuff in that app. Stats, odds and info, uh, article integration from the website. Tons of things going on in the ATS app. We highly encourage you to download that in the Google Play Store, in the Apple Store, or over at ATS.io. With that, we bring on today's first and only guest. That is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how's it going today, man? All right, Adam. Uh, second half, believe it or not, we made it, right? His second half of the yeah. NFL season, time flying. Um, Masters next week, Breeders' Cup this weekend. Uh, there's a lot going on, and maybe college hoops coming. The MAC, I love the MAC. The MAC starts this week. Yeah, the MAC starts this week. Buffalo Bulls, top power-rated team in the MAC for me. They look like they are a force to be reckoned with here this season for sure. I would bet them in North against Northern Illinois. Um, in Northern Illinois, you know, perennially is one of the better teams in the MAC, but I, they're good. But I don't think they're as good as they've been. Uh, but before the cat's out of the bag, I think Buffalo's like an 11-point favorite on Wednesday. Uh, they've been really working for a long time. Leopold's a really good coach. I think he'll have him prepped up pretty good. But watch out for this Bulls ground game. They've got a running back that's going to make it to the NFL. They've got a good offensive line. Um, you know, anything can happen, you know, just like with the weird – stuff we saw in the NFL with the no preseason games and the odd training camp. So there are some unknowns, but all reports was this, this Buffalo team's champing at the bit to get going here. And I think they're a really salty team and, you know, tough laying 11 on the road, but I think you might want to do it or maybe play them in the first half for sure that they come out of the game because, you know, if, if running the ball, it's like give it the, give the ball to somebody and block. I mean, how how excited to, and X's and O's, you got to be there. Maybe Buffalo in the first half's the better play there, or or a live bet Buffalo second half if they've got the lead because yep. they've got the running game to put this one away uh, for sure. They're against Northern Illinois. We'll talk about that for Wednesday's show with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter from HunterSportsPicks.com, going over our MAC power ratings as well as our power ratings 
for the Pac-12. And also along the same lines, Brian, of other stuff going on here, NASCAR championship race coming up on Sunday at Phoenix as well. So very busy week, very busy two weeks here in the sports world. Which, by the way, we'll just take care of this right now. Uh, I can't wait for that race. I think there's a real defined betting opportunity there. there. There's two races. There's the race, which Harvick is going to win. And then there's the championship race where basically it's like a group matchup you would get every week. And those numbers are reflected in what we normally see in group matchups. But it like they're all like plus 275, plus 280. I'm all about Brad Kozlowski. Logano won to get here. Elliott won at Martinsville last week to get here. Hamlin was good all year long, but he's not been running as great recently. Harvick, with nine wins, got left out. And he was probably a stroke on the board to win this race. But I'm all about Brad Kozlowski. I'm, he's racing three guys. But I, I think Kozlowski's the guy. When he won the race at Kansas, he did not spin the tires or do the big burnout or go nuts. And when they came up to interview him as he got out of the car, he was all excited. He's, he said, if we get to Phoenix, because all he did was advance to the next round. He said, if we get to Phoenix, he goes, that this car... Is, go, is going to Phoenix. And he saved the car. He protected the car. He didn't do burnouts at Kansas. And he found, he worked his way in. It was between him and Harvick last week at Martinsville to get in. Kislowski found a way there. I, I, and Now, Logano won the spring race at Phoenix. But I, I, th- I think Kislowski's absolutely one of the better plays this weekend at about plus 280 uh, to win the championship in the NASCAR circuit. Yeah, Logano did win that spring race. It was also one of the slowest spring races that we've seen. There were a lot of cautions in that one, 20 different lead changes, stuff like that. So, you know, maybe not the best of indicators for Logano heading here into this one. Hamlin did win this race last year uh, for what it's worth. Also, for what it's worth, Kyle Busch has averaged in the last 10 races at Phoenix. Kyle Busch has averaged a top three finish. His average finishing position, 2.9. So maybe Kyle Busch, I saw him, Plus 550 or so this week. He may not be a bad look either. Plus, he just got a win a couple of weeks ago after a horrific season. So the monkey's off his back. It was like the, uh, trying to think of the streaks. I guess the best one would be Dustin Johnson, right? Winning a, you know, all those years on tour having a win, which is remarkable. Uh, and Bush kept his streak alive of getting a win. Uh, so he's racing with house money, and he raced good last week. The other thing that's fun to watch in this, and it was pretty good last week, is yeah, Elliott was kind of home and cooled, but he had a win, but he had like a five-second lead. But uh, the race was back between these guys just trying to get into the final four. And you had this odd dynamic of uh, Eric Jones had a good car, and he's pressuring his teammate Truex, who's trying to get into the into the final four. And he's like, I think he could have passed him about 20 different times, but he didn't pass him. And he stayed out of his way, and he actually was like a bridge for him between Truex and other guys that were trying to race him. Truex's car eventually, I don't know if he had a loose wheel or something, and he, he dropped out of it with about 10 laps to go. But, but the, the machinations that go on inside the race when you're in the playoffs, there are two or three or four different races that are going on. Yeah, and, and NASCAR actually investigated that with Eric Jones because the spotter told Jones not to pass him. Because yeah. as you said, he had the opportunity to do it, 
Spotter told him not to pass him. The crew chief and Jones said some things at the end of the race. They're like, well, we'll talk about it later. So I, I don't think the Jones team was too thrilled uh, with how well, everything kind of played out there. But well, the there I- is, we'll, we'll call it gamesmanship, to put yeah. it nicely. But it happens here for sure. But the irony, the irony of that was that Jones basically is on that team, but he technically had been fired because he wasn't coming back in that car next year. So, he, you know, he's torn between... Well, what do I care? I'm not racing with you guys again next year, but technically he's been paid all year to be on that team. Um, so th- there's that do I, don't I kind of thing. Uh, but like you said, in sports, you're, you're like the the integrity of it. Uh, but they're teams for a reason. I mean, Adam, you, you got the, the, what do you call it, the restrictor plate races where the Chevys work together and the Toyotas work together. You, you know, you're trying to pick a winner, and there's all this, how is this for a, a theme? all this political stuff that's going on, you know, inside the races, but it's fun. I, I really, I really think it's a car race, you know, goofy stuff can happen. Uh, but I, I really like Keselowski to win, win that matchup with, with those three other guys. And of course this year, again, the final race at Phoenix, as opposed to Homestead Miami, where it typically is. So we go to a one mile track instead of the one and a half mile track. We'll see how that plays out here on Sunday uh, out in the desert. But let's transition over to the NFL side of things here, Brian, and we'll do a highlight video in a few minutes, kind of keying in on a few of the games here uh, for week nine. But I do want to talk about the Thursday night game real quickly, and I didn't want to do this for a highlight video because there are some questions here with San Francisco. Jimmy Garoppolo's out with the high ankle sprain. George Kittle's out for eight weeks, so his regular season virtually done here for the 49ers. And as a result, we've seen some line movement here. Green Bay now up to a five-point road favorite on the short week at San Francisco, even seeing some five and a halfs out there in the U S and the global markets. What do you think about this line now with San Francisco, where quite frankly, a healthy Nick Mullins could be an upgrade to an injured Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. The side scares me. Uh, I think it's going to close three green Bay favorite on the road, but we've seen San Francisco do this before where they couldn't look any worse than they came back. Uh, you know, and, and look really good the next week. I think Miami smoked them, and then they smoked the Rams. Uh, the bottom line is I'm not so much concerned. The running back, we saw it last year with San Francisco, plug and play whoever, and the running backs can succeed there. But with guys like Debo Samuel and Auk, yes, the Kittle thing is the big loss. But that would be the big loss for me in terms of a guy, a difference maker that can win the game. Uh, I think Mullins can certainly do some good things. I think Mullins can also make some mistakes, which could provide a short field. And I think Green Bay comes in here with a little stone in their shoe uh, after getting beat by Minnesota. If I'd lean to the over, uh, that would be for me. And I think Green Bay will kind of relish this. I mean, San Francisco, it should be okay. I apologize. I don't know the exact weather forecast might be a bit nippy, but they're not playing in Green Bay. I I kind of think this game has a real opportunity to go up and down the field. Total anywhere from 50 to 50 and a half on this one across the market. There has come down a little bit, possibly, again, rel- relative to the Kittle announcement. Uh, Green Bay with COVID in the running backs room, too. Jamal Williams not going to play. A.J. Dillon not going to play. So their depth is hurt a little bit at running back, and maybe that kind of dictates what, what they do with the play calling. What's the deal with Jones? I mean, Jones is fine so far, but you know, just just from a depth standpoint, if something happens to Jones, uh, you know, Green Bay could be a little bit weaker at that position here 
for this week nine Thursday night kickoff game. But with that, we'll go ahead and do a highlight video here. We'll talk about some games for week nine across the NFL with some picks and predictions. And I'm host Adam Burke. I'm joined, of course, by Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, you already did a video for this Seahawks and Bills game. Seahawks minus two and a half, total 54 on this one. But just to start us off here with this highlight video, sounds like you've got some thoughts on that one. Track me. Absolute track me. Um, the, the crazy thing is the, the Bills, um, it, it was frustrating because they tried to give away the Patriots game and they made a play at the end of the game to hang on and win. This is a letdown spot to the moon for the Bills. Uh, and you get an out-of-conference team coming in here. Uh, the Buffalo basically, once they saw the weather forecast for this past week, on Friday they said they practiced two plays. The rest of it was running plays. And they just ran the ball down New England's throat. The, the, the offensive coordinator, DeBall, I've been screaming to the heavens for eight weeks. Stop with the Allen in the shotgun and Singletary and Moss standing next to him. Give him the ball. And he gets the ball standing still. And they had no running game. I'm like, line the running back behind. They're good running backs. Let them run downhill, spot a hole with a little momentum. Well, they rushed for nearly 200 yards. They ran it down to England's throat. So I think they figured out that they've got a running game if they decide to use it properly. And then Allen can be dangerous with the play action. And you've got Diggs. Beasley's really had the hot hand of late. they got to get John Brown in the offense. Seattle, the running back situation is sketchy, but Wilson runs around. He's incredible. Throws a, as, better, as good a deep ball, the best deep ball, I believe, uh, in the NFL. Uh, He's been remarkable. They are going to get their fair share of points. The Bills have had injuries with Milano and Edmonds. um, And I I just think that it goes up and down the field. And and the real big reason, Adam, thinking of you Sunday, when I'm watching the right before halftime of the Browns-Raiders game, the weather, it, it was like the scene in Caddyshack with the Bishop and Bill Murray. And Bill Murray said, oh, I don't think the heavy stuff's coming for quite a while. It was ridiculous. And that that is basically right up the lake. The difference is probably about an hour and a half to two hours that that weather hits Buffalo. So Buffalo had wind and rain last Sunday. It was never as bad as it was in the Cleveland Raiders game. The advanced forecast for this past, next weekend, it's going to be in the 40s, I believe, out here. You're, you're, get your suntan lotion, pal. This weekend at Cleveland, Buffalo, supposed to be 68 and sunny. It's probably going to be, and that means that the ticking time bomb's behind it and winters are coming, but it's going to be 68 and sunny. These two teams are going up and down the field. Yeah, I'm going to try to get out on the golf course one more time here this week because it's supposed to be sunny in 60s, you know, really across the Great Lakes region. Hopefully I can get out uh, one more time after things dry out a little bit here, but yeah, the weather should not be an issue. I know people will kind of talk about that 10 a.m. start time for Seattle. I don't know if that's an issue for a team as well-coached and as well-led by Russell Wilson as they are. So, And the thing, too, is that you know Buffalo, while they got the running game going last week, it's been an issue all season long. The Seahawks are okay against the run, and we saw that last week against San Francisco. Yeah. Oh, it's no. the pass that they struggle with. Well, so, and, I, and I think they got to get Allen going again. And I, and I don't know, I, I know I've mentioned it. I don't know necessarily it was with you last week. And you know me, I, I follow the Bills religiously, and I missed this. And it was prior to the Jets game last week, Trent Dilfer on the pregame show 
Do you remember Allen got knocked out of the Raiders game where he fell awkwardly on his left shoulder, went in the locker room right before halftime, came back out, and they won the game. And he just said, oh, yeah, yeah, it was sore and everything. At least it wasn't my throwing shoulder. He's been wearing a brace on his left shoulder. And Dilfer said he's convinced it popped out. They popped it back in. And he's convinced that he separated his shoulder in that Raiders game. And he said it's about a three- to five-week injury for it to really shore up and heal. But he's been wearing a brace on his left shoulder, and he thinks it's impacted his mechanics. And everybody's ready to go back to this. He's an accurate thing all over again. I think he, I think he's playing hurt. Well, and again, as I said, Brian's already done a video for us on our ATS YouTube page with a look at the Seahawks and the Bills game. Also, he has thoughts over there on the Dolphins and Cardinals game. So we encourage you to check those out while you're right here on our ATS YouTube page. Brian, I want to ask you about this game here. 455-456, Chicago and Tennessee. Titans a five-and-a-half point favorite here in this game. Total 46-and-a-half. And I don't think there was a more disappointing team in the NFL this past week than the Titans. The line went up. It was the most popular play in the Circa Sports Million and the Westgate Super Contest. I had them in the Circa. They faced a Bengals offensive line with four new starters, and they don't even sack Joe Burrow at all. They look inept offensively for large stretches of that game. Now they take on a better defense in the Chicago Bears. What do you think about the Titans laying five and a half this week? I'd lean to the total likely, Adam. I mean, the one thing with Tennessee, they're pretty good about circling the wagons kind of thing. Um, coming off the, the COVID thing where everybody was giving them grief and they beat the Bills. Um, they played the Steelers really tough. They they had a gauntlet. I mean, I'm willing to draw a line through that for Tennessee. But their problem is their third down uh, conversion rate on defense. It's like far too often they can't get off the field. That's the big thing. Now, this isn't a Bears offense that scares you. Um so I would expect better things from Tennessee's defense. And honestly, you talk about disappointing. Chicago's got to be sick to their stomach. They gave that game away against New Orleans. At halftime, they were killing New Orleans. I mean, killing them. And they punted at the breeze with about a minute to go and a half at about his own 30. And out of nowhere, they, they let's go to this ridiculous prevent zone and gave him like four chunk plays in a row with underneath of. And even the announcers were like, well, that's too easy. Again, they're giving him the field goal. Well, they didn't give him a field goal. They gave him a touchdown. Breeze threw a touchdown to Cook right before halftime. And the whole game turned on a dime. I mean, I, I watch all these teams do this stuff. I mean, the prevent thing drives me nuts. Uh, the, the timeouts drives me nuts. But that prevent thing at halftime cost them the, the game. It changed the whole game. And Chicago still had their chance to win in overtime. No, I agree. And and that's the thing is, you know, you've got to pay close attention in the NFL because perception does mean so much. And, and that is a big question here, you know, with Tennessee is, you know, did they just run out of gas in that game against the Bengals? Was it just a spot where maybe it was overconfidence or you know, maybe they just walked in there thinking it was going to be easy and it wound up not being easy. And, and quite frankly, the Bengals have been competitive this year. They've covered a lot of spreads uh, over the course of the season. Tampa, but Tampa Bay and the Giants. I yeah. mean, Tampa Bay's got New Orleans coming up next week. You know, I mean, you can't get up every week. You, you can't, you, you know, I don't care who you are. They're, they're, yeah, they're not college kids. It's more prevalent in college. But, you know, they're still professional football teams. If you don't show up, 
you know, you're going to have to work for it. I mean, honestly, the Giants should have won that game last night. How many, how many wide open stretch plays did the did Jones have? He had so many opportunities, uh, and and then then on top of it, missed his chances, and then made egregious mistakes that led to the game winning points, and they still had a chance to win. So, you know, it's like I'm saying, like I I really I want the Bills to win. But I, I know that's just a horrible letdown spot. You have to take that into account. Um, I think Tennessee just had a letdown spot against Cincinnati. I like the under in the game, bud, personally. Well, and that's the thing. A lot of people are probably going to look at this and say, man, Tennessee at five and a half is a big number. Keep in mind, it opened six. And, you know, again, there's really not a whole lot of home field advantage in the NFL this year. So, you know, a lot of people are probably going to look at that line and say, how could I lay this with Tennessee coming off of that loss to Cincinnati? There are some games that you just need to put in a separate column or put in a box and put the lid on it and just sort of kind of draw a line through it, as you said. So I'm curious to see what happens with that line and maybe more importantly, curious to see what happens with that game and if Tennessee does play up to that expectation and does have that bounce back performance because you may miss the boat here, but maybe you'll find a spot similar to this down the line where it can be something you can use that's actionable info for you. And the one thing I would say, and you're right, it's probably a perception thing, and you look at the record or you go to the standings. But for the most part, save save one week, Cincinnati's been in every game. I mean, Cincinnati is not a pushover. And Burrow's done some cool things. He's still a rookie, and he's going to make But this is a team that's they're competing. I mean, I don't think it's this horrific loss everybody's making out to be. No, I don't think so either. Another game I want to ask you about here, 463-464, Houston and Jacksonville. Not the sexiest game on the board by any means. But you got a 1-6 Houston team laying 6.5 on the road. Total 51-51.5 for this one. Jacksonville will not have Gardner Minshew. And we kind of knew that, I guess, because this line really hasn't moved a whole lot. But for the life of me, I cannot remember a one-win team this deep in the season effectively laying a touchdown on the road. Well, they're both coming off a bye. That's all I got. <laughs> no, they're both they're both coming out. You know what I, what I would watch for? It will not shock me um, after we tape this video and you send it out. What if 25 minutes after you send it out, they trade Will Fuller? I mean, the, the trade deadline, I think, is a thing here uh, for Houston. Uh, in Jacksonville, it's just one of these teams. Best of luck to you trying to get a read on these guys. I mean, it could be the ugliest game in the world or it could be a track meet. Um, I I would lean, when you get to, when you get two teams that are hopelessly out of it, and it's crazy to say that, you know, going into week nine, when you think of what's going on in the NFC East. But basically, where Houston and Jacksonville reside, I mean, when you're hopelessly out of it, it's that intensity level goes down and you do crazier things and some gimmick plays. And I, I would lean to the over. You know, I mean, it's, it's not like, oh man, hey, I'll, all these great players are there. I just think the nature of the game, the lack of intensity, generally, 
I mean, it could be they're just, you know, ugly and it's a punt fest, but I'm more inclined to think um, it'll be a turn the clock back to the old AFL days where they're both thrown for 400 yards. Yeah, you know, that that's an excellent point to make here is that, you know, we do have some teams that are already clearly out of it. Some teams that, you know, you can kind of question their motivation week in and week out. But we've talked about this a lot, specifically with the NHL, where the more important the game, the more things tighten up. And as you said, this game's not really important. I mean, it's important for Jacksonville because they're better off losing as many games as possible to improve their draft position. Probably the same thing for Houston, too. But at least Houston, with Romeo Cornell, they've looked far more engaged. So Houston will probably be a very popular teaser team this week. I may kind of like them a little bit minus the six and a half if they keep Will Fuller, as you said. But, you know, that's the big thing is, you know, like you said, I, I don't think either one of these teams really has a whole lot of intensity to give throughout the year. And you may want to start looking at overs for those teams that just don't really have a whole lot going for them. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it, it's a good point. I, I, I think that's a kind of a generic way to look at it. And then, you know, the other thing, to try to take some of the guessing game out of it. When you get games like this with teams you just can't trust, you know, God gave you two eyes. You know, when you watch these games, it doesn't mean the game's dead to you. But if you go and watch and go, oh, they're engaged today. I mean, you can tell when you're watching the game. Oh, their defense is fired up. Or, oh, though Minshew looks like, uh, you know, he's not a train wreck today. Uh, or... Deshaun Watson's taking the game over. and On the way in, can you trust either of these teams? The answer is no. But if you watch the first half or the first quarter, you'll get a real sense of who's into it. And maybe the games, games like this with teams you can't trust, in-game wagering is the way to go. And also an unknown factor here with Jacksonville, with Jake Luton getting the start uh, with Gardner Minshew Hurt. So we don't really know what Jacksonville's offense will look like if it will be any different. So maybe live betting, a good opportunity for sure in that one. What about this Sunday night game? You mentioned it already. Tampa Bay maybe looking ahead last night to this rematch with New Orleans. Buccaneers are a five-and-a-half-point favorite at home. When these two teams played back in week one, the Saints were a four-point favorite at home. So as I said, there's not a whole lot of home field advantage to go around this year. Drew Brees in the dome or in warmer weather does help him. So maybe that factors into this line a little bit. But, Brian, we're talking about a difference of nine and a half points, really, from where these two teams were in week one. Is that an overreaction, or do you think that's a pretty fair indication given the body of work for both teams? No, I think it's reasonable. And uh, honestly, if if the Bucks had looked a lot better on Monday night, the number maybe even a touch higher – New Orleans, it's funny. I don't think they get enough credit. We're always poking the bear. They don't look right. Something's not right with New Orleans. You know, think what they did with Ted, the one year Breeze got hurt. And everybody's, oh, man, well, if, if Teddy Bridgewater can hold down the fort, you know, they'll, they'll have a chance at the end. And then Bridgewater came in and they did great. The Taysom Hill thing, he does some good things sometimes. Peyton gets a little squirrely with, with his decision-making. But New Orleans just wins, you know, and they should get credit for that. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't think they should have won the game against the Bears, but they won. Think about this. Michael Thomas has been out the majority of the season. This past week, Emmanuel Sanders, who had finally become part of the offense, he gets COVID, and they find a way to win. I mean, you get the ball to Kamara. 
and he can do a lot of good things. And Traquan Smith and whoever they plug in, Cook, the tight end, showed up. Um, so I think they deserve a world of credit. But with Tampa, you know, I don't know what the deal was Antonio Brown, what that's going to look like, um, you know, and how quick that comes to fruition. But the Giants gave Brady a, a, a lot of trouble um, with good pressure. I mean, if you can get Brady. Now, they got all the weapons. We know that. Um, and I, The funny thing is, but we have the we have this one, and we've got the Giants in Washington. The other thing you got to take into account: this is these are the first two games where revenge is in play. The first rematch games of the year here come in Week Nine. And honestly, that first week I loved New Orleans. It had nothing to do with nothing other than, and I was right then. And I is that Brady? I don't care who you are, how great you are. Learning a new coach, learning, learning new wide receivers, and then you had the funky preseason and training camp. That New Orleans is like, I'm sick of hearing about Tom Brady, and they, they won the game handily. Now, nine weeks later, I think this Tampa Bay team is going to get better and better and better every week. And look at, look at the emergence of Gronkowski now, again, in that offense. Yeah. <laughs> I think there are a lot of interesting talking points here. I do think there were a couple of revenge games. Uh, Packers-Vikings, I think, was one of them. Uh, and then... Um, okay. Yeah, that's right. And Browns and Bengals. But, yeah, we are at that point now where we are getting those division revenge games. So that is an angle that you know you may want to consider here. And in the first game, Tampa Bay was probably the better team. I mean, Drew Brees was under 100 passing yards, I think, deep into the third quarter. I remember I was on the Saints in that game. I did take them in the circuit. And I got very lucky, I think. I'd actually have them cover the number there in that matchup in week one. But I think the the biggest question that we have to answer regarding this week nine game here, and quite frankly, I don't know what the answer to this question is. A lot of people have looked at the Saints defense this year and have said they're better than they've played. They're better than what that statistical profile looks like. They're terrible on third down. That's been a big issue for them. So they've gotten a little bit worn down. They haven't gotten off the field, stuff like that. But a lot of people I've heard have repeatedly said this Saints defense is better than what we've seen so far. If you believe that to be the case and you're getting five and a half here, I think you like New Orleans. If you don't believe this Saints defense is better, I think you like Tampa Bay. I don't want this to come out the wrong way. Like, um, we don't have to agree on everything. It doesn't, you don't want it to be a love fest. And I'm not taking a shot here. But it's funny, you said that. Earlier, I said Tennessee can't get off the field on third down. And, well, what did we say all summer long? Are these defenses, they can't get off the field on third down or the defense isn't as good? What did we say all summer long? When these teams go on the road, they're not dealing with crowd noise. That the the offenses are going to move the chains. On third down, the train whistle may go on the jumbotron, but the fans aren't standing up going bananas. I would You're telling me New Orleans can't get off the field on third down? I said, Tennessee, I would venture against the majority of the teams in the NFL, what they're doing on third down, allowing on third down, across the league, that number is higher. The advantages to the offenses, specifically the visiting teams, who are not dealing with crowd noise. So I wouldn't just say it's, oh, the defense has given up so much on third down. I think third down efficiency around the league for visiting teams is through the roof. 
That's fair. And, and I also think, too, with the way that play calling has changed, we're probably in fewer third and long situations this year. Teams throwing a little bit more on early downs, stuff like that. So more manageable third downs, too. Third and three, third and four, stuff like that. As opposed to, you know, run into the line twice, then get third and eight, and everybody and, in the building knows you're passing. And how many more teams are going for, like, the fourth and two? I'm seeing more of this, you know, at the 40 coming in or something to the point where maybe they're more, more aggressive. Like if you're, if it's third and six and the coach has already made his mind up, we're going for it. So that third down play, that play call is we're going to make call a play here on the premise that we're going to go for it again. So they may run on a third and five where they normally wouldn't because they're considering a four-down territory. And some of these things add up to moving the chains. No, that's very true. That's a very true point there. So what are you thinking about that Sunday night game? Like I said, Bucks minus five and a half, 51 and a half. Any, any early thought on that one from you? Um, doesn't do much for the old podcast, does it? No, I don't like any. I don't know. I, I, no, I, I, I That's fair. I, I, I think it's I think it's a tough handicap, and also too, I want to see if Michael Thomas is going to play. I, I think that's important here too. Well, then, no, that's just it. Uh, I, I would lean to, I would lean to Tampa Bay, but I, I'm not loving. I mean, look what look what look what uh, Tampa Bay did at home to Aaron Rodgers. Do you no, want to no. throw the revenge in there and the importance of the game and? seizing control of the division and Brady and I would lean to Tampa Bay, I mean, but you're getting breeze in four and a half points, but I'd have a slight lean to Tampa. It's, it's not a game. It's Sunday night. I'll find something to play, you know, inside the game, probably a prop. Uh, if Thomas doesn't go and Sanders comes back from the COVID, I'd probably play Emmanuel Sanders over. It'd probably be something in the, 59 and a half, 63 yard range. Maybe I'd, I'd, I'd pick a guy like Sanders out of the equation there, um, you know, because he's been out of sight, out of mind. And he had just figured out how to get in the offense. I think he had over 100 yards the week before he was out. Yeah, I, I don't remember if Sanders is out again this week or not. I'm sure it'll, you know, come down to what his testing COVID, looks like. I guess it was a two week. He was on IR, the co- whatever the COVID IR thing is. You know, he's, a, uh, he's eligible to return this week. I think, and you talk about this a lot, I think this is kind of correlated. If you think the Saints' defense is better and you like the under, I think it's the Saints. If you think this is a game where a lot of points are scored, I think it's Tampa Bay because I don't think at this point in time Drew Brees is well-equipped to go into a shootout with anybody. He so, doesn't touch the field anymore. Right. So, so I, I think, really and obviously if Thomas can... is back, it helps. But yeah. it, it's the same thing that you always kind of talk about. You know, there's a – there's a court when you think of the game state, when you think of the game flow and how you expect this one to play out, if both teams are getting to the 30s or you think both teams can get to the 30s, I don't know if Breeze can get there. If you think it's a lower scoring game, maybe the Saints are the side then. And honestly, this is when like like a game like this, what I can see happening is and why I'd stay away, Tampa Bay could be the better team for the lion's share of the game. And you know, Tampa Bay's in complete control of the game. They're up 10. Uh, it, and then they go into the idiot prevent, you know, and Breeze goes down the field and throws a touchdown with 26 seconds left, you know, uh, and, and they're down three. 
you know, but it'd be the back. Tampa Bay dominated the whole game, but Breeze gets you the backdoor cover. That, 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 honestly, generally speaking, that's why I play total 70% of the time. I really do. I, the, the backdoor cover, unless you think someone's going to roll somebody, that garbage is always in play because these coaches can't help themselves with this stupid damn prevent defense. No, I completely agree with you. A lot of good thoughts here on this NFL breakdown on our ATS YouTube page. Like I said, you can get additional thoughts on Seahawks, Bills, Dolphins, and Cardinals here on our ATS YouTube page as well. But I encourage you to check out our full editions of ATS Radio, which you can find on Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podbean, TuneIn, wherever you stream and download your podcast content. All right, we'll finish up today's show, Brian, taking a look at the Breeders' Cup Classic here at Keeneland in Lexington, Kentucky. Big day of racing, lots of great racing, almost all the best horses in the country on hand, either for the Classic or for the events on the undercard here. The post draw was on Monday. We got 10 horses in the field for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Tacitus in post one, Tis the Law two, By My Standards in post three, Tom's Detat post four, title ready five, higher power six, global campaign in the seven post, improbables in eight post, authentic nine, maximum security ten, tis the law your three to one, or uh, improbable, excuse me, your five to two favorite, tis the law three to one, maximum security seven to two, authentic six to one, strong field here, Brian. A uh, great race, Bob Baffert's got the uh, guns loaded here. Um, Adam, and uh, he's got three horses. All of them are machines. You know, you got um, maximum security breaking from the ten hole. Had has is a kind of a controversial horse. Um, the horse won the Derby and got DQ'd. Uh, in Baffert's care is running really good now. And authentic, tons of speed. Uh, come the Derby winner. There's so much speed in this race. And uh, where's Baffert's other horse? Oh, Improbable. Improbable is the five to two morning line favorite. The funny thing is, Adam, and I could be, I'll be, you know, we'll see. I could be wrong. Because if you look at Improbable's last three races, absolute monster. But I've seen this before, and I'm going on the leap of faith that history repeats itself. This horse has fired all these big shots at Santa Anita. I mean, huge races, 105, 106, 108 buyers, three straight grade ones, comes in in great form. But a lot of times, and I ain't taking shots at California racing, but a lot of times these these runners are horses for courses. And then all of a sudden you send them elsewhere, and all of a sudden – Improbable just doesn't look so daunting. I I think a lot of this could be, you know, he's so good at Santa Anita. So I'm going to try to beat him. And honest to God, I I really think you got to sit here and say, tis the law has a real opportunity uh, to get the job done. Had run monster races, wins the Belmont easily, wins the Travers easily, and then you got to the Kentucky Derby. And that's the most physically run race. It's the bigger field. And he he runs second in that race. And I think it was just, he was a victim of, of weird time. But he's been freshened since that race. 
And if you remember what Tis the Law was going into the Kentucky Derby, people thought he had a fall down to lose. I'm coming back with Tis the Law. I, I think Tis the Law uh, can beat the, the Baffert Army. Yeah, I, I like Tis the Law here too. You know, I mean, I, I think that it's it's going to be really interesting to see how the race goes at the outset. And this is one and a quarter, so, I mean, this is a long race here at Keeneland. But I want to see how it goes with the three Baffert horses side by side by side coming out of the gate. You know, Tis the Law can probably break free, run from in front. We'll see if he winds up having the endurance to finish this thing off. But Improbable Authentic and Maximum Security could wind up bumping with each other, could wind up, you know, kind of all getting caught up in that mix as they try to get to the rail. And look, three very good riders for Baffert. You've got Irad Ortiz Jr., John Velasquez, Luis Saez, three excellent riders, almost all the top riders in the country uh, in this race here for the Breeders' Cup Classic. But that's kind of what I worry about is, you know, do those horses kind of throw each other off stride a little bit while Tiz Law just jets to the front and maybe puts it in cruise control uh, as a fresh horse, like you said. Tiz Law, there, there ain't no way in God's green earth Tiz Law has the lead here. He's sitting third or fourth. Um, Authentic's going to go. Um, Authentic is just going to go to the front like she like he did in the Derby uh, and go as far as he can go. The global campaign, I think, is one that could be up front along along with Authentic. I just think that the speed in here, ma- maximum security, I think, is another one that would be kind of contending up front. And the other thing you got to realize, when you've got three horses trained by the same guy, I mean, you talk about a fireable offense, not just for this race, but for their future riding for them. The last thing you want to do is get involved in a speed duel with the horse that, you know, the, the, the trainer's two horses are dueling on the front end. It's like a cardinal sin. Uh, I think Tis the Loss, it's probably third. The good the good thing about breaking from the two hole, I don't think he wants any part of the lead, is he'll be si- hugging the rail going into the first turn and be sitting third or fourth and get first run at them. Uh, and then the one I would give a shot, I mean, listen, any one of these, I mean, a grenade could go off too because it's that kind of year. But the other one that I think is capable of turning the tables is Tom's Day Tot. Uh, and that one ran third in the Whitney and was beaten by Tis the Law and by my standards. So this one's coming off a long layup. But the running style with Joel Rosario, again, if, if I'm saying Improbable is a horse for the course at Santa Anita, then I'm going to try to beat Improbable. I think by my standards is, is uh, or not, excuse me, Tom's Day Tot is one with the running style to pick up the pieces if the race starts to collapse. So I, I like Tis the Law to sit third, uh, get first run at the pace setters, and then try to have to hold off Tom's Day Tot late. And pace well, makes the race, pal. Well, and I guess that's sort of the question here. I mean, that's that's the strategy for Tis the Law, to kind of sit third, sort of take a run, take a shot at probably one of the Baffert horses who's out in front. The question is, do you think any of these Baffert horses that get out in front can hold that lead? I mean, is it does it make the most sense for Tis the Law to sit third or fourth and then take a shot, maybe you know, mid-track, something like that? Can can Tis the Law, you know, catch up and then well, outrun the Baffert horses? What we don't know is how's the track playing. 
Because there are times when Keeneland can play pretty speedy, where you get a speed bias, and, and then Authentic could, could go gate to wire. Um, by the way, I mean, in the Kentucky Derby, I, I'm still stupefied that that happened. And the fact, I think he did it, but it took something out of him. That Authentic, he won in quote-unquote wire-to-wire fashion, but not really, because it was such a long run to the first term. Authentic got the lead in the Derby, but had to work to get it. I mean, they were already by the Spires the first time before he got the lead. It wasn't like he shot to the front and slowed things down or it was phony. Authentic had to work to get the lead in the Derby. And he just kept going. It was unbelievable. And then you come back and think, well, if he did that in the Derby, there's no way he loses the Preakness a few weeks later because it's a shorter distance. But sure enough, I think the Derby exacted a toll on Authentic and Swiss Skydiver got the job done. The Philly won that race. So freshness, I think, at this time of year is, is an asset, too. That's why kind of like you never know. I mean, some horses, you know, need to build that foundation up. Some horses fire a big shot off a lengthy layoff. Uh, that's like I think Tom's day of a wild card. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at all, uh, but I know that, you know, generally speaking, with these big main events like this one, you find a lot of value on the undercard. You tend to, you know, find a lot of things that you like in some of those earlier races where, you know, maybe some horses that could have been in contention for the Breeders' Cup Classic wind up running in something else. Anything that, you know, if you've had the chance to look, anything that you've kind of noticed on any of the undercard uh, races? Well, um, generally speaking, now the Breeders' Cup's a little different, but I mean, I. You know, like Chad Brown dominates turf races in North America, but the European horses, the turf horses, are better than the North American horses. There's there's no getting around it. Uh, they, they keep doing this. It happened again this past uh, weekend at Santa Anita. I had a call from a friend. He goes, look at this horse at Santa Anita. Uh, go to race five and look at it. And I, I looked at the horse, and then I said, yeah, oh, yeah, it looks good. And I said, but... The horse I'm playing is the rail horse. It's the the. This happens all the time. It was a European invader, first time at Santa Anita, and they thumb their nose at these horses all the time. Usually they let them go off eight, ten to one. The horse went wire to wire. Uh, it's seven to two. So I love the European turf horses, and I'll tell you in the turf. Uh, there's a couple I'm gonna use. One Brad Cox this is a phenomenal trainer. He's got nine horses, and they asked him, you know. Uh, he's got big horses. I said, how about the the ones coming? He said, well, you want to say they're all doing good and, you know, I love them all and everything. But he thought Arklo was the one that was sitting on the biggest race of his life. That would be, uh, and I'd drawn the rail in the Breeders' Cup turf. But in that race, this happens a lot too. I'm going with, uh, no, turn a page. I believe the horse's name is Ternawa. Tarnawa. Uh, it's an Irish bred, but it's a filly going against the boys. Uh, a European horse coming over here. And, you know, I, I can just hear, I can hear Comus doing the call. The, the, the filly does it. The filly beat the boys. I mean, it happens all the time. I mean, Swiss, let's, don't dismiss that. Swiss Skydiver wins the pregnancy. A filly beats the boys. You know, these horses are running around going, what's she doing here? The advantage is to the Philly. 
there we go. Good thoughts there on the turf. Again, Tarnawa in the three post, Arklow in the one. So maybe that's something you want to look at. Possibly an exact the box type thing uh, in the Breeders' Cup turf here. Always great to chat horse racing. Always great to chat everything with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. And Brian, how can people check out those two shows of yours? Uh, thanks, Adam. Uh, KSHP.com. There's the listen live function there. I put the show links out on my Twitter at Brian Blessing. And the shows are archived for you at sportsbookradio.com. And um, got a new thing coming up we're, we're looking forward to. Get, we'll get the word out on that once it's official, uh, that the show will be a little broader than that. And that's coming soon. Well, definitely make sure you follow Brian on Twitter, at Brian Blessing, to get any of the latest updates with that. And as I said, make sure you check out our ATS YouTube page, where Brian, uh, this afternoon, once I get it edited, will also have a video of the Houston Open, the lead-in to the Masters here, and then also a video for the Breeders' Cup Classic. Brian, always a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for joining me, and we'll talk to you again next week for the Masters. Hit them straight when you golf this weekend. I'll try to. There you go. There's Brian Blessing, once again, at Brian Blessing on Twitter, kshp.com, sportsbookradio.com, to check out all the fine work that he does. Coming up on our Wednesday edition of ATS Radio, we'll chat with professional better and handicapper Kyle Hunter, from huntersportspicks.com, talking mostly Week 10 college football. Thursday, Brad Powers will talk college football and the NFL. Friday, my picks for Week 9 here in the Circus Sports Million. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.